okayness is who you are, no matter what's going on, where you don't have to lean on anything that has to present to others with a mask, right? So I don't have to sit here and be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can say, I'm not fine and it's really hard and I hate that I'm going through this. And in that, I have faith that it rains and it rains and it rains and it rains and it rains. And then there's a beautiful sunset at some point and the world is beautiful again. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. So I just want to say that right now, the amount of stress and pain and sadness that I feel is so intense. I'm sure many people are feeling that too. And I can only say the most beautiful and strong thing I can possibly think of is that when we start to feel filled with sadness and filled with fear, that's when hate wins. And, you know, the kind of of terror and terrorism that we have seen, what that is on some level, it's intended to fill us with so much pain. But we cannot allow that to be We have to, as a world, be the light. We have to be a light. I feel that this is a global constant right now. It is a a quest for goodness to prevail over darkness. And each one of us needs to be on that energetic level, really, truly being so deeply loving. You know, love is such a high vibration that it heals. You know, they've done experiments where they can see love and they can take the measurements of that kind of energy and what it creates in this field of energy is so powerful and so coherent that it loves everything into life. And fear and sadness and hate, that frequency, it doesn't have the same universe of strength as love. And so it's interesting, you know, today, um, the episode I'm doing, you're going to hear a conversation I had a few weeks ago with Cleo Wade and her book, her new whole project is about remember love, remember love. And when all feels like it's falling apart, Remember love, that we are all in the army, so to speak, to be a loving goodness and to bring that to the world. And that is and needs to be our focus. So it's about creating even more peace with all the people around you, everyone in your family, everybody you see today, everywhere you go being vigilant to be the most loving possible person that you can be. And, you know, that is how I was raised. That is what I was taught. 
And no matter what unspeakable horrors my grandparents experienced as Jewish people running from persecution, the message I was taught was to be more compassionate, to be more of a conscious light in the world. And that is our job. So I'm about to uh, share with you this episode, but before I do, I want to let you know next week I'm doing a workshop. It was scheduled to be next week and I thought maybe I should cancel it. And then I said, you know what? No, like this is the time for me to be with everyone. And so we'll be meditating together. We'll be sending love and light to the world. We'll be thinking about how we can use our own gifts to bring more of that light to the world. So if you want to join us, you can join us at kathyhowercom slash passion. Or if you want to be a part of the VIP experience, you can go to kathyhowercom slash upgrade. It starts on Monday and I'll be live with you guys each day. So today, Cleo Wade is joining us. She's a New York Times bestselling author and poet. She's an artist. She's an activist. I've shared a bunch of her posts in the past because her words are really beautiful. You might also know her from her bestselling books like Heart Talk, Where to Begin, What the Road Said. And this week, she released a new book, and it's called Remember Love, Words for Tender Times. And it's a collection of prose and poetry that explores how we can find light in periods of lostness, love for ourselves and after heartbreak, okayness in the midst of change and strength and letting go. I love that it's about learning to love in these tough times because boy, is that a lesson that we need right now. I highly recommend that you get yourself a copy. Cleo is a really beautiful person. She has a lot to say. She has so much soul in her, especially now. Let's remember that there is so much beauty that we can focus on. And uh, without further ado, let's welcome her here, Cleo Wade. Cleo, I'm so glad that you're here. It's so fun to meet you. You're so beautiful. I feel like everything you put out is beautiful. Over the years, I've like screenshotted and shared your posts. It's just a lot of beauty. The words are beautiful. The meeting is beautiful. You are gorgeous. I just feel like that's what I would say is you're just a lot of beauty. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I'm actually, I'm very thankful for the screen grab aspect of phones because I've actually made a lot of friends through the words, them saying, I screen grabbed a lot of things you wrote. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, it is cool. I love what you write. I love how you write it. And my listeners will probably, once they take a look, they'll be like, oh, I've shared her stuff so many times. So you have been writing and you've been like waxing poetry for all of us. And now there's a new book that's coming out. And I guess before we even dive into that, I would love to have some context. You know, I think most people, we just get caught up sometimes in our subconscious mind. And a lot of the time, there's a lot of Velcro there for negative thoughts. And so you are coming from this beautiful, clean place where your heart is so open and you are able to perceive so much beauty and resonance and connection with yourself, with the world, with your soul, with other people's souls. How did you even get to that place? Like, where were you and what was the unlock for you in your life that allowed you to swim in something that was so higher vibrationally, you know, matched? How did you get to that place? Well, I feel like I think there's how I got to the place, maybe slightly in general, and then how I got to the place for this book specifically. So I actually wrote a little bit about this in Remember Love, which is I'd never actually been able to pinpoint. I didn't have that 
aha moment per se, or I didn't think I did until recently. I was talking to Cheryl Strayed and she had defined vulnerability. And, you know, vulnerability is one of those words like self-love or self-care where it becomes kind of this really highly marketed idea. And then we are like, wait, what does that mean? You know, I think with vulnerability or even intimacy, there's these words where a lot of different people say them and they mean a lot of different things to different people. And I think that it's really hard to find yourself in something that is defined in many ways. And she said to me, vulnerability is being honest about who you are and what you're going through. And I think in my very early 20s, I read my first kind of self-help book because I wasn't raised in a house that was, I was raised in a house that was spiritual in the sense of there was soulful music and a really soulful experience of growing up in New Orleans. And my mom is a cook and my dad is a very, very funky artist. And New Orleans is really the kind of personality of New Orleans is really the center of my parents being, you know, they are not people who focus on hustle and grind or working. They're people who focus on Mardi Gras and dancing and being in food and being out with their friends, the kind of culture of, I'd say maybe what just brings us joy outside of a kind of purposeful workspace is really the center of who they are. But also in that you don't find a ton of tools, right? Because the tools are usually go out and have a good time. And so when you deal with things that, whether it's anxiety or depression or these things that are like, well, I want to go out and have a good time, but something inside of me is saying that's really hard to do and I, or it's not resonating or I don't feel it. And I went on this kind of tear of self-help books when I was in my early twenties and I'd always kind of written in a kind of private way. And I'd always kind of written these notes to my friends when they were going through something. Even this morning, I wrote one to a friend who called me about something that she was going through, but I could listen on the phone and I could hear and I could talk to them about it. But something really came alive for how I felt that I could be there for them by writing it down. So I remember even one of my more well-known poems is something that says, um, baby, you're the strongest flower that ever grew. Remember that when the weather changes. And I'd actually written that in a notebook when a friend had called me about a breakup. And after we were on the phone talking about it, I wrote that down and I sent her a photo and I said, I think just remember these words and you'll get through this. And I think over the years, I started to wonder if kind of following that old idea of if you do the thing you love, you'll feel like you never go to work, which also can translate as if you do the thing that feels like it flows really naturally to you, perhaps you're living in your gift. And so I wondered about that and I kind of allowed myself to take risks and chances around that. So I started in a more of a public art space and I would write, um, I'd collaborate with different artists to put these poems on the sides of walls and billboards. And then I eventually brought them to Instagram, which I, I felt I was kind of late in that space, but, and I really saw it resonate more and more with people. And so I think for me, the unlock was, can I take what kind of flows within me with ease and not try to make it difficult, but instead share it? And I think when I talked to Cheryl and she had said the thing about vulnerability, I think I also, something was going on with me at the time, maybe, which is why I was turning to those books in the sense of, I think I was wondering if there was something more. But I think what I realized is that 
I think I was ready to kind of be in the world without a mask, even of like the childhood mask or the mask you put on so that your parents are okay with you or that your peers are okay with you or that you're accepted. I'd moved to New York City and I wanted to, as I guess Maya Angelou said, invent myself. And I'd done a really scary thing by moving to a big city alone. And I think I wanted to be, as Cheryl said, honest about who I was and what I was going through. And I think I felt like if I was telling the truth, I knew I was on the right track. And so I, for the past 10 years, just focused on telling the truth about who I am and what I'm going through. It's all so beautiful. I love the path and I love the awakening. And I love just being in that consciousness that everybody who's listening just remembers to remember that this is a choice, that you can live your life being who you are in front of camera, so to speak, and the same as you are behind stage, you know, sort of like not wearing a mask, not living with a persona, but really just being authentic and also just being in the inquiry of what mm-hmm. does it really mean to to invent and to live a life that is most aligned with you. I love that whole journey. You also said something beautiful, which is like, maybe you're just living in your gift. Do you think that everybody has a gift? Do you think that that's a possible flow for everybody to feel like they're waking up living in their gift? I do. And I think that we have to allow the gifts to be every shape and size, I think. And again, I feel I am the story of um, someone who didn't have the big aha moment or even the big, really horrible rock bottom moment that made me look up and ask God to help me. But I have had a collection of very tough and hard things I've gone through. And I think that in finding our gifts, just like in affirming our own journeys or our own worthiness is whatever you've gone through, whether it's a six to you or a 10 to you, don't bribe yourself out of being worthy of your experience and your experience being worthy of you. And so I think that the gifts are the same. I think that whether your gift, I think if you're constantly looking for your gift to be a painting or a song or the piano, I think you may feel what is my gift. But I think if your gift can be your listening or your warmth or your ability to learn something really quickly and synthesize it and teach it to others, I think that you can bring gifts, those gifts to anything you do. And that does turn what you do into your gift. And so I think so much of the time we get roadblocked because we are so sure the path is supposed to look one way. And when we release that kind of tense and strict energy about how we get to the top, we actually enjoy getting to the top of that mountain. And it actually feels very life-affirming. And we don't even care once we get to the top. It's so true because you're enjoying the satisfaction moment by moment of showing up for what's there. And therefore, you know, people say to me, like, how were you patient? How can you be patient on your way to making your first million? Or how can you be patient on your way to whatever you think is the outcome? And I'm like, because we didn't come for the outcome. We didn't come for a pile of things. We came for our own well-being. And so it's like moment by moment, how we can continue to like 
expand our experience of this moment. It's a myth that there's something in the future that feels better than what's available here. And your whole life is happening if you're having zero presence on your way to the finish line. I remember writing, I hope I don't butcher my own words, but in Remember Love, I wrote something that said, when the material is at the center of my goals, I find that when I get to the finish line, there's some loneliness there. But when the personal is at the center of my goals, when I get to the finish line, whether I win or I lose, I'm the one that's held. And it doesn't matter basically that I'm not holding the gold medal because I get to be held wherever mm-hmm. I land. And I right. think that that is um, beautiful. also critical in that when the personal is at the center of your goals, waking up and feeling good, waking up and feeling secure, even when you put the personal at the center of a financial goal, it's about how you feel and how you get to feel with your family. And you know what I have found is if it's just, if like stuff is at the center of the financial goal, then you will never reach the financial goal. You'll keep pushing your finish line. But when the ease of, I just want to not work on Sundays because on Sundays, I really get to be with the people I love, whether it's going out to a really fun lunch with my girlfriends and not having to like be have anxiety to start the week or whether it's being with my children or being with my partner or being able to visit my elder parent, whatever it could be, that I think allows for there to be enoughness in that financial goal. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, I think there's a way in which the mind makes it that there's something outside of us that contains our well-being. It's either this person's validation or this many followers or whatever this financial goal is. And all we really want to do is arrive at our own door and Mm -hmm. be able to sit beside ourselves and drink in whatever the experience is with some equanimity, whether it's something that's hard that we need to name or something that's beautiful. It's like just that's the most satisfying thing is just being with what is in the most beautiful way moment by moment. And Every day we are presented with that opportunity and your work and your books are such a bridge to those places within us. I want to say thank you for being that. And this new book is coming out very soon. What do you want people, because you've already created so many different beautiful books and in this creation, what were you hoping that people would walk away with? What were you hoping that this would do to serve people? Well, so right before the pandemic, so I'm pregnant in 2019 with my first daughter and I'm coming off of a year of being pretty burnt out from touring my other books. And then I kind of, I commit to my next two books. I had one coming out in 2019 and I had two more for the end of 2019, 20 and 2020. And, um, that's a lot. It was a lot. And then I found out I was pregnant probably a week and a half after that signing that commitment. All while I'd been on the road in the years before that for 260 days out of the year. And so in the beginning of that year, I was really burnt out in January. I remember being like, I am burnt out. And what I'll also say is that this was the height of kind of the girl boss culture. Okay. And it's funny because. Someone I work with sent me something yesterday that said it was a tweet. It said like a burnout love story. And it was someone saying, 
I let go of girl boss and turned it into I'm just a girl. And I finally found rest, basically. And so we're looking at that period of time. You know, it's also the election. There's, I mean, it was a really intense time. I'm pregnant and I'm living between New York, where I lived for 13 years. I knew I was having my baby in LA because Simon, my partner, has two kids from a previous marriage. So I wanted everyone to be together. And Simon is working on a film in London. And so throughout the entire pregnancy, I'm kind of touring. I I remember I even had to, not for tour, but for another work project, I had to go to Africa twice. I'm kind of going across. The amount of things on your plate. It was bizarre looking back on it now. And so by the time I get towards the finish line, my pregnancy with Memphis, I am so burnt out because I'd never really healed. As you know, how burnout works. It's like, if you don't really heal it, you can kind of bring your kind of 20 to a 60. But if you don't actually try to get back into the 90s or into 100, your nervous system is just so easily shot, right? It's like lack of sleep. If you just keep getting no sleep, no sleep, no sleep. It's just, you don't replenish And then Yeah. And you could go to be, try to be like, I got five hours instead of two, but it just doesn't. So I remember at that time, and I churn out the books and I tour pregnant also. So I do a tour of one of the books that came out in America and I tour seven months pregnant as when I'm seven months pregnant. And I remember after that experience and I have Memphis, I was like, I, I, I sit down with my agent and I'm kind of like, I don't ever want to be committed to something that's not like fully baked or I don't know exactly what the next book is. And because I was kind of, you know, as you know, how books go, you, you have like a concept and you still have a concept and you're at a treatment. And, and so I was like, I need to know at least the exact feeling I am speaking to in my readers. Like I need to know what the next one is. I cannot sign another book and I need to have been writing and I needed to have been brewing in it. And Honestly, I'm so burdened out. I don't even know if I have another book in me. I, I don't know if I should just be focusing on other projects. And I had also gotten kind of caught in the girl boss of it all and was kind of running a company I'd somehow created that I didn't even really want. And I had had like so many projects and so many things I was making. And I was like, I have lost the space where, and, and I'll never forget this because my friend Sade said it to me. She was like, you know, since I met you, she's one of my first friends I ever met in New York. And I wrote about this a little bit in Remember Love. She said, you know, you are someone who really thrives and has joy in building homes. She's like, you're a home for all of your friends. You're a home for- you, a beautiful you, thing to say. Like, and she said, and you love a homey feel. Like you just, you want everything to feel cozy and homey. And she's like, and you built a home for your readers. It feels like they are welcomed home to something. And I feel that you have somehow maybe had gotten hijacked by the culture that told you you had to build an empire and, that, and an empire is the opposite of a home. She was like, it's not cozy and it has to move quickly and everyone can't get your individual attention and you can't sit there and look everybody in the eyes every day. And I was like, you're so right. And and you do have to realize that because by the way, there are empire builders and they they actually have a superpower that is incredible because they can go really deep and in and they can go really wide and everyone feels seen and it doesn't take anything out of them. But you do have to know when you're a person who builds homes because you you do have to, I think, build in more intimate spaces. So I kind of drop everything when I get pregnant with 
by you because I got pregnant pretty quickly after Memphis. And I was like, I still don't know. I still don't know. And the pandemic's going on during this time. And I was like, I just know that I my next step forward has to feel deliberate. And through this time, I'm going through postpartum stuff. And it's it was a really kind of challenging and contemplative time for me because I, I really was having my own kind of the deepest inward inquiry I'd had in a long time while also being on the phone with all of my friends. Like I'm sure you had friends who were all getting divorced and separated or leaning in on this thing or, you know, whether it was alcohol or getting sober or, I mean, that people went through major transformative changes over that period. And I started to feel like I had something to say because for one of the first times in my writing, I was like, I want to share with my readers how I felt when I was stumbling around in the dark, found a light that I had somehow lit within, and I want to create a trail to that light for other people. And so while Heart Talk and some of my other books are what I would say are like these like ideas and really outward, as people would say it as advice or poems, and, and I love those so much. But remember, love is it's a very patient book. And while it still has that kind of lightness and ease for my readers, because I feel like that's really important in the times we're living in, because we're so stressed and overstimulated. I don't ever want someone to open my book and feel overwhelmed by the book. This book is really like, it's kind of going around into a tough time with a flashlight and saying, this is how we find okayness or how I did. And I share so many stories about like the ones I just shared and other things my friends and I discussed or kind of how we coped and got through not only these past few years, but there's one part of the book where I just write about heartbreak for the entirety of part three because I felt like I'd never spent real time to say, how did I get through those heartbreaks? What words would have helped me the most? What was the advice my friends gave me that did really help me recalibrate to kind of being really fixated or obsessed with something or some outcome and allow me to recenter myself in my own life? And so it's a really special book to me because it's, while Hard Talk is so personal, this book has so many more stories from my life in it that it really feels like my whole personhood's on the page. Whereas I'd feel that in hard talk, my personality and my sense of self and the love I have for my readers is, is really on the page. And that's what I think people love. This one's very scary because you feel like it really is me. That was so beautiful. I love how you said you like found this light inside yourself and then like, wanted to create your trail back to that light. And I love what you say about okayness. What does that mean to you for people to find okayness? You know, I just said to a friend this morning that I mentioned earlier who is struggling with something. And I said to her, you know, call me if you need a listener. And in the meantime, just remember that saying this is really, really hard and I'm so sad and not being okay is oddly the first step in to finding okayness is that really honest moment of saying this is the worst thing ever. And because when we can begin with honesty, that immediately brings 
integrity to the experience yeah. and allows us to heal with integrity, which is what we really need, right? Like yeah. we need that to find the tools and strong people want to be strong in a tough situation. And I think that allowing ourselves to not be who we have to be when things go wrong, I think allows for us to find this pathway to fundamental okayness, which is this really hard thing is happening, but I do know that I can move through it. And I do know that my life has taught me that I can handle this and I don't have to handle it alone. And I think that's where we kind of shed, you know, our superpowers during those moments. And I think that okayness is who you are, no matter what's going on, where you don't have to lean on anything that has to present to others with a mask, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have to sit here and be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can say, I'm not fine. And it's really hard. And I hate that I'm going through this. And in that, I have faith that it rains and it rains and it rains and it rains and it rains. And then there's a beautiful sunset at some point and the world is beautiful again. And I believe that beauty comes again. And so I think the knowing that that is the nature of who and how we are and function and that resilience is real. It's so good. It's just a really beautiful reminder to be a witness to yourself. It's a really beautiful reminder to name what's here and begin there. And then I love what you said, like beauty comes again. And we we know that too. But some of that beauty is in being a really gentle, good friend to yourself and being able to say, there's nothing to make right about this right now. There's no cheering up that will be warranted. It's just a matter of making a space to see what it is and hold what it is and be a witness, you know, and I love how you said to your friend, let me know if you need a listener. As much as I know people listen to people, I've never heard anyone say that. And I think that's really so gorgeous and generous that that rolls off your tongue. I also just want to name your own journey and your own self-discovery and how much I love this whole conversation around building homes versus building empires. And I was just talking about it to my community yesterday that it's very easily a distraction because other people will tell you that there's no end to what you can scale. And there's this feeling that more is always more. And you turn around and you say, hang on a minute, my appetite and my authentic expression is actually here. I really don't want a team of 40 people. And I really don't actually enjoy the reality of what a life looks like when I'm making $100 million a year. I really want to create this. I love the word cozy. I love the word home. I love the word gathering. And that has intimacy built into it. And I'm feeling that in myself. And uh, I was just sharing with you before we hit record officially that we moved away from Mandeville Canyon, which felt so much like home to me and so much like quiet, nestling, gathering, just that feeling of intimacy. And we moved to a house that's you know, 10,000 square feet overlooking Mulholland. And it's really, really beautiful. And I cried so hard when we got here. And I realized that I was Alice in Wonderland and I had like gone down the path to the tea party and I really wanted to go to the other path. And I think that that's a really available danger. I think that we live in a time that's always pointing you towards more and pointing you over here. And there might not be well-being at the top of that summit 
just because somebody keeps pointing you higher and further and more. And we live in a, like you said, girl boss, like go, go, go. Like, I don't know that that's for everyone in your most expressed self. I think that you have to know the difference between where you're holding yourself back and then also where you're pushing yourself to a place that in no universe do you feel like you fit. And so I'm dancing there. And and I think that there's not a lot of modeling for what it looks like to be living in a place that feels like flow and in your gift and also really being deliberate about what actually feels like it's serving you. And I think that it's awesome that you you stopped and paused and and took a deep breath and then sat with that breath for a moment and said, what's really me and where do I really want to go and and how do I want to do this? And the word that I would kind of throw into what you just said is freedom. Where do we feel free? Where do our decisions orient towards freedom? And I think that in our culture, you know, this idea of no sleep, hustle and grind, that there's not a lot of freedom to be found there. And I think it's really important that we orient towards this idea that we are free to do and go where we feel warmth and love. And so I think that you can't have okayness without freedom. And I think that this kind of the freedom to cry, the freedom to take the days away to heal, even as the friend I was telling you about is someone I also work with in ways. And she was like, so I'm just going to be off the grid for a few days. The freedom to do that instead of being so obsessed with your hustle and grind that you cannot heal from this hard thing you're going through. And so I think that always keeping freedom in the equation is how we make these incredible decisions for ourselves as far as how we are scaling. Like if scaling gives more freedom, great. If it gives less, I do think it's something to think about because ultimately you need space and freedom creates space and you need space to connect with others. And the connection with others are always going to be the things that make you feel that life is worthwhile. I love it. And I love just really pausing on that and offering that as an invitation for people to pause and to take a look at like, where are you consciously co-creating freedom and where are you not? And don't get distracted and build a 747 when really all you want is to just put your feet in the sand where you already are, you know? And so I think that that's a really important journey to just constantly just check in and by golly, there's very few things in your scroll that are going to remind you of that. So you have to find the things that do. And like you said, then walk your way back to that light within, which is what your, your work does. And that's why it's such a medicinal gift that you give us. And the reason you're giving it to us is because you're, you're brave enough to give it to yourself. And I love that you exist. Thank you so much. In this book, just the words, um, there's so much poetry in this book and there's so much, like you said, there's letting go, there's surrender, there's heartbreak, there's beauty, but these words remember love, you know, just what does that mean to you to make remembering love and remembering to remember what love feels like a part of our day? Like, what does that mean that we could remember that and that we could hang out there more often than we do? So I opened this book with a story about being at the height of postpartum depression with my 
first kid, I think. And I'm in the bathtub and the bathtub is my podcast place, like many people. And I'm listening to Tara Brock and who we all love. And I've listened to her for at least 10 years. I, I love her. But as the haze of the brain fog that comes with postpartum depression and any, any type of depression, I'm kind of listening. I'm kind of not. I'm in a daze. I'm, I'm trying to do that thing where you're like, I'm going to do the right thing for myself, right? Because when you don't feel like yourself, like I write in the book, I thought I knew how to love myself, but I didn't know how to love myself when I didn't feel like myself. And that was my big aha that I write towards in part one of this book, which is called Eventually We Get There. It's all about coming home to yourself and that lost and, and kind of finding yourself in lostness and reorienting. And so I'm in the tab and I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to, I don't feel like myself. I need to do things that are like myself. I love the bathtub. Anyone who knows me, they know if I'm having a bad day, they'll tell me to go into the bathtub. Okay. So I get in and I put on Tara and I'm, I can't really focus, but I just all of a sudden hear the words, remember love. She says them. And it felt like somebody snatched me from the fog and just put me not in the light, but out of the fog. Like they had given me a bubble of kind of clarity or clearness where I was, I could see what I was going through in myself and really witness myself very clearly. And listen, I write because I believe in the power of words. Words had, were my therapy before I could afford therapy. So I believe that words are that powerful. I feel that. I know that. I have felt that. That's very true for me. And so while, of course, the words remember love did not heal my depression, but they did act as an anchor to a new toolkit to help me manage this. And so I didn't realize that I was beating up on myself all day for being like, you're moving so slow. Why can't you function? Why can't you think? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And I didn't realize that I was like almost giving myself tough love. And I don't even think I believe in the phrase tough love, but I was not being gentle with myself. And so I had this kind of mantra that was like, remember love, like the pace that you're moving in is the pace you're moving in. Like, just be grateful you get to move at whatever pace you're in right now. And remember love kind of always attached and reattached me like an anchor to gratitude in some type of movement out of this stuckness. And I knew then that, you know, I'd taken a post-it and I'd written, please remember love. And I put it at the top of a board. And for the next basically three years, I wrote and everything had to go back to remember love. Everything had to go back to this anchor of these words that gave me such profound healing. And so from that, I built out a book and I built out part one is called Eventually We Get There. Part two is called Worthy Rebellions. Part three is Notes on Heartbreak. Part four is And Then We Let Go. And all of this helps us to remember love in many different facets, how we treat ourselves, how we treat another, how we treat the world around us, how we allow others to treat us. Those simple requests we can make to someone in our lives who may be treating us with toxic energy to ask them to remember love. And so for me, the title is so 
personal, not because I was the genius who thought of it, because I didn't, I heard Tara Brock say those words, but they so profoundly impacted me and shifted the entire way I chose to heal. And when I asked myself what it meant to love myself, when I felt my worst or my most anxious, I realized I needed totally different tools than I needed when I felt that I was in a really great kind of space and flow. And so that's the title of the book. It's so beautiful. It's an amazing insight into how that came to be. When she said that to you that day or any day, but the days that you remember like waking up to those words, remember love, what did you think she meant? What does that mean to remember love? I think it means in how we treat ourselves or another, are we allowing the junk to talk, the lowest energy to talk, or are we gifting ourselves our most divine sense of self, power, magic? You know, and so I think for me, how I interpret that is to remember love is to cut through the junk that stands between you and love. It's like that Rumi poem of our job is not to seek to find love, but to remove the blocks between us and love. And so I think it's to live in, strategize and interpret the world without the blocks and without the junk. Yeah. I just was on a six-day meditation retreat in Vail. And whenever I go on a retreat like that, all I can know that I remember that I know is that all that's here is just this infinite field of love and it's so magical and it's so Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and everything, every tree, every person is emanating from this vibration and you can feel this this way in which everything else is just an illusion. And it's so important to remember that because it it reorients you to life as it actually is. And it connects you to I think any time you can interpret and feel that in life you are a part of something big, that is the belonging that so many of us are searching for. And I think to have that at our base is also part of okayness. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, what probably most fundamentally changed my life was I took a trip to Jerusalem when I was 21 and I stayed for a few years and my beautiful holy rabbi said to me, you're a masterpiece, a piece of the master. And that we all are a piece of this infinite field, which is just the most loving creative force. That's all it is. And we're all part of it. And you're right. That is like the intrinsic belonging. That is what gives us like all of our well-being. It's Mm -hmm. all from that place. It's so cool that you share these thoughts and that you so deeply can excavate your own process and understanding. And then you have such a gorgeous gifting of how to put words together in a collection that feel like a sentence that unlocks us, you know, the way that you put a sentence together. So it's so awesome. Tell everybody where they can buy the book on pre-order and where they can follow you and be a part Um, of it. You can buy Remember Love wherever you buy books. Of course, we really love when you buy from your independent booksellers. Who are we without those havens in in life too. Is there an independent bookseller that you like that we can put a a link to in the show notes for their store? Yes. I mean, we can obviously link to the bookstore that kind of is the collection of all of them. I love if you're in LA, um, Reparations Club is a local black-owned bookstore. 
and I can send links to all of my favorite. And I like uh, helping the indie bookstores. It's really because I love walking in. Oh, the smell. The community. And then just like walking around and like picking things up and like reading four really beautiful words and then finding it. It's like, it's just who doesn't want there to be bookstores? Like, and also who doesn't have a secret dream to have a bookstore? You know, I think that you like watch You've Got Mail and you just decide that you (laughs) want to be Meg Ryan. Yeah. And so I think that we all have that inner Meg Ryan dream of the shop around the corner. And so I love them. They're, you know, I think bookstores are like parks and beautiful statues and public art. I think that they make a community um, habitable for those around. So. My husband's dad passed away in 1987. So when he was just a kid, but his dad owned a bookstore. And so mm-hmm. he used to work in the bookstore and like he'd bring home Encyclopedia Brown or whatever books he was reading then. But I remember that was like definitely a reason why I liked him more. I was like, your dad owned a bookstore and you grow up in a bookstore. It's so cool. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so yeah, it's hot. It's really hot. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thank for you so much. All of this confetti hearts and oh love. I feel God. like I, it was like a bath bomb. You said bath a few times and yeah. words are so loving. And I feel like I was like soaked in the most delightful energy. Thank oh you. Oh my for God. It. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on and thank you everyone for listening. Wow. That was really a beautiful conversation. Here are the takeaways. Number one, you're the strongest flower that ever grew. Remember that when the weather changes. Number two, allow your gifts to be any shape and size. Number three, when we stop stressing about how we get to the top, we actually enjoy getting to the top of that mountain. Number four, acknowledging that you're not okay is the first step in finding okayness. When we begin with honesty, that immediately brings integrity to the experience and allows us to heal with integrity, which is what we really need. Number five, okayness is being who you are, not presenting to others with a mask. Number six, have faith that when it rains and rains and rains, there's a sunset at some point. Believe that the world can be beautiful again. Number seven, always keep freedom in the equation. Freedom creates the space you need to connect with others, and the connection with others will always make you feel that life is worthwhile. Number eight, be grateful for whatever pace you're at right now. And number nine, remember love. Our job is not to seek to find love, but to remember the blocks between us and love. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm so clear that there's a million things you could be doing, but you're here. I love you so much. We have so many good episodes coming up, so please follow along on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you believe in this podcast and you want to have more people hearing it, then leave us a review. If you can think of one person who needs to hear this episode, please share it. And don't forget, next week, I'll be gathering us together. You can join us starting Monday, October 23rd. Go to kathyheller.com slash passion to join this workshop. You could also upgrade if you go to kathyheller.com slash upgrade. There's extra VIP stuff there. I'll leave you with a song of mine. Keep loving each other. 